This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you, as always, with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, king czar of the player A, player B, anonymous NBA statistical split Twitter polls, co-host Andrew D. Bailey. That was a struggle to get out, but I made it through. Um... Before we get started today, I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. There's been a little bit of a stall out on those numbers and reviews that have been up there. We would appreciate it. We know you guys are out there. We know you're listening. We've seen the numbers. So help us out. Go to iTunes. Throw us that five-star rating. Leave a review. If you have not subscribed, do so already. If you've done all those things, refer us. Shout us out on Twitter. We retweet all the stuff that we see. Um, It is good to tag both Andy and I and stuff because sometimes Hardwood Knox's Twitter gets neglected when it's not a podcast day. We can also be found wherever else you are consuming your podcast content, whether it be Spreaker, uh, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, all that whole, that whole stuff, Art19. So you can find us wherever, but please still get on to iTunes as we wrap up another regular season. Let Andy and I know that you're out there and you want us to keep doing this for all of eternity. Um, before we dive into uh, our season-ending awards that we will be blowing through, and there might even be just a, a couple seconds of Magic Johnson talk, if Andy will permit, we do have to ask, though, how the hell are you doing, Andy? I'm doing good. You just you seem like you're full of energy tonight. We haven't recorded in the evening in a while. Well, here's the thing. So I'm working <laughs> on a big project that you actually helped me with um, that's going to release on, I, I think it's Thursday, but I am like so, it's just so much, like I'm overwhelmed by it. So I've taken so many caffeine pills and um, <laughs> natural energy drinks today. So I'm kind of like, if you could see my hands right now, they're like finger tapping all over my desk. So we've got the Jesse Spano of podcasting here tonight. Yeah, I'm so excited. Hashtag <laughs> yes. say by the bell gift. Hopefully I don't go unconscious during this, like just crash in the middle <laughs> of the podcast. I will nurse you back to health like Zach Morris. From 2,500 miles away. I dig it. I'm here for it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, Magic Johnson quit uh, like an hour ago. That's pretty crazy. I respect it. I, I no, Honestly, jokes aside, <laughs> because I've made many of them. I don't know how you feel. I respect his decision to walk away rather than uh, so, run the Lakers aground like Phil Jackson did to the Knicks. However, and this is the last thing I'll say before you go, maybe tell your boss. Maybe yeah. don't tell LeBron that you're going to stick around in that meeting you had with him and his agents. That's just so bizarre to me. Um, I Did you watch the press conference? I was watching clips of it. He was rambling for like an hour. I didn't have time to yeah. do that. I didn't see any of it. I just have a, I have a friend who's a big 
Lakers fan that was texting me. Shout out Nathan Grease. Um, but he said it was rambling and almost like incoherent at times. Um, just kind of all over the place. So I, I, I'm going to have to look up those clips myself to see what he's talking about. But a couple of the quotes were funny. Like I, I couldn't tell her to her face. So let me just do it publicly on this giant national stage. Um, and it seems like he walked away and came back. This is from Bill Orm of the athletic who published a fantastic piece we're recording this on a Tuesday. Um, it dropped Tuesday morning from the Athletic, where it went behind the scenes of just the Lakers' dysfunction. And this on that night, uh, Magic then resigns. But he tweeted, "Magic is holding court once again." He says that he's been told Jeannie Buss will not be attending the game tonight. So that leads me to believe that he walked away and then came back and and fired up the quote machine once again. I wonder if. Uh... I mean, the, the, everything's got to be on the table now. Like, what happens with Polinka? What happens with Walton and the rest of his staff? The other thing that's funny about this to me is there there is a much different woge when Lakers stuff happens than when just about anything else happens. Have you noticed that? That and LeBron stuff, I feel like. Yeah, there's there's definitely something there. I mean, he went into instant spin mode on this where I mean him and Shams and all those guys I'd be pretty pissed that they didn't get the scoop magic just dropped it himself yeah, yeah that's true wild wild stuff here's what you do if you're the Lakers you hire David Griffin you sign Kyrie Irving you trade for Kevin Love and you run back the Cavs but in LA <laughs> well David Griffin follows me on Twitter so I uh I support that plan and then I'm gonna um just go crazy trying to beg him to give me a job there you go i think he follows me too he must have bad takes uh bad taste in basketball <laughs> analyst but yeah that was no. certainly a shock and i don't know you're right i think everything's on the table is palinka back i think this would probably mean that luke walton's back but at the same time you probably have to hire another president so maybe luke walton isn't back um i just don't i, I respect that magic johnson walked away now and i also respect that he's basically like I'm tired of paying half a million dollars every time I want to have a combo with Paul George and I want to tweet with whatever I want. So I'm done. Yeah. I, I wonder how much of the, um, just like the day-to-day stuff like that drove him crazy. That, that is an interesting point. I mean, I, I'm sure it did. I mean, there was, but, and the last thing, do you think that there's a chance this was an off the cuff decision just because if he didn't tell Jeannie, assuming that's true. And then if he had the meeting with LeBron and his, uh, his representatives and then didn't really tip his hand there. Like, did he just, did he just make this decision? And it was an impromptu press conference. Yeah. Maybe it's something that just hit him today or maybe it's something that's been like nagging for a couple months and, and something just sort of set it off. I don't know. Well, we will see where the Lakers go from here. Their off season somehow got even more dramatic, which is just, yeah. Um, and them stealing the thunder of Dirk Nowitzki and Dwayne Wade at the same time. Just <laughs> such Lakers. Um, where do you want to start? Do you want to go through awards, all NBA teams, all rookie teams? Um, I think it's you, you uh, these nice handy uh, sheets for us on Google Sheets. Let's just go through them uh, that way. Start with MVP. Yeah, let's roll. Um, MVP, right. everything else, at least I did it this way, and I believe you did the same. MVP is a five-person ballot. Everything else was three in the awards section. Yep. Um, I just yeah. I think we have the same four top four candidates. So you want to read them off? 
Sure. Um, Yanni Antetokounmpo, Yanis Antetokounmpo. For a long time, I called him Yanni because Tas Melis, who is Greek, said that it was Yanni on the starters a couple years ago. But now there's that. Uh, what are those cell phone commercials he's on? Uh, I don't even know, but I, those were the ones that I was going to bring up that he says it's Giannis, actually. Yeah. So. yeah, he walks by and says, actually, it's Giannis. So that settles that. Giannis Antetokounmpo, he's also the MVP for us. Um, James Harden, number two. Nikola Jokic, number three. Paul George, number four. And obviously, this is where we split. Um, I've got Stephen Curry. I... <laughs> I see who you have, and I don't know if I'll spoil it or, or let you say. Um, and I think there's a very, very strong case for him, and I, I don't um, begrudge anyone for putting him there, especially with all the games that Curry missed this season. I felt like that might uh, influence me a little bit more on this. Um, but I just been so good. I don't think that's. I think your choice is totally he's, acceptable. He's still up to high sixties. He might get to seventy games by the time we're done, and. Um, he, he's just been, yeah, he's, he's been ridiculous as ever. And I think at the peak of his powers, he's still this one man offense. And then, so he, he barely got in there. I also thought, and this will shock you. I, I gave, um, a moment's consideration to Rudy Gobert for number five as well. That does not shock me at all. I'm actually surprised <laughs> you didn't give him the number five spot. I, in fact, I think I told somebody on Twitter just the other day that I, that I had him number five and I, there, the the crazy thing about this season, and those of you who followed me maybe saw this um, post on Twitter recently. I did an article for Bleacher Report about how many MVP caliber stat lines there are this season, and it's just it's crazy. There's like there's like ten to fifteen guys who are putting up numbers that that would have been surefire MVPs uh, in other seasons, and I don't think it's entirely because of the bump up in pace this season. There, there's just tons and tons of talent in the league right now and it's it's actually kind of hard to settle on uh that last guy yeah um i'm completely with you there my fifth pick though was damian lillard uh just been a monster this season hasn't necessarily changed the way that he's played but he's getting to the rim uh basically as often as ever making smarter decisions out of double teams he's been averaging like a jillion assists um since i think january 1st or whatever the marker was that i used for that and to know what he's done with the Blazers they lose Nurkic McComb was out for a bit Uh, the Blazers have an offensive rating of almost 119 according to cleaning the glass when he plays without Nurkic and McCollum and when you look at the other talent on the roster that's not a given to say so I respect what he's done there my other note on this would be when you're just choosing between Giannis and Harden I don't think there's a wrong answer and just because we picked him it's not coming at the expense of Harden I just I tend to value defense more than the average voter. And while Harden has been, you know, the love stories about his defensive improvement need to stop. But while he's been better on that side of the ball, uh, that side of the floor, Giannis Antetokounmpo, I gave him serious consideration for defensive player of the year, which is where we're going next. I ultimately didn't give it to him, but he was my, spoiler, he was my second place voter. And you combine that with, if you isolate or, excuse me, adjust for pace, no one has ever matched his per game stat lines. He's just a monster in every facet of the game. And the other thing that ultimately mattered to me when we're looking at these anecdotal arguments, he didn't seem to have that one defining MVP moment, but he was just wire to wire to me, the best player in the NBA this season. And that has to matter when you're coming from the best team in the NBA, when you're also uh, going to contend for defensive player of the year, this 
it became a pretty easy selection for me, but I I don't I don't want to say I, I disagree, obviously, but I, I'm not going to disrespect anyone who goes with Harden because his year has been absolutely incredible. He has actually carried the Rockets like this season. Yeah, I wouldn't say Giannis was an easy pick for me. It was comfortable. Um, I and, and I'm with you that anybody who makes the case for Harden. Um, I can't really hold that against him. He, he they, he's just been unreal. Uh, as as everyone knows, I mean, he's he's about half of the points that the Rockets generate, game to game, and he has been for three or four years now. It's just it seems even crazier this season because he's doing so much um, with his own scoring. It, it, the assists are down a little bit, but thirty six points per game just really leaps off the page. But I, I think everything that you said about the Giannis Harden differences, I agree with. I, I do think he's been just the best player in the league this season. Best player on the best team um, is always sort of a feather in your MVP uh, cap. Um, so yeah, it wasn't like I wasn't tormented over the decision, but I, I do see how people can go with Harden. Um, it, what about Jokic at three? That's just easy for me now. I mean, look, Paul George, the shoulder injury, he faded um, after the All-Star break. Once Oklahoma City's schedule also got tougher, he came back down to earth a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you want to put him third, I'm, I'm again, it looked like he had made it a three-person race for a little bit. There was, there was a month span. Zach Lowe talked about this on his podcast. What happened. It looked like it legitimately turned into a three-man race. Yep. When I come back to it, though, just look at – if we look at and I'm this is I'm not going to go through the actual numbers because it's long and it's going to be in the project that I'm publishing. But when you look at the points that Jokic generates um, from what he scores, his assists and his screen assists, it's just he's up there with the only a, the only guys ahead of him in that are Harden and Giannis. Right. So thank you for spoiling what I had written already. <laughs> oh, but, sorry. No, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if people are going to read it if they're hearing this. I'm just saying, like he is up there with. I was going to say the top three guys in the NBA this season. So uh, that's – and when you look at the injuries the Nuggets have dealt with, they're in the running for – I know 2-3 is up in the air, I think, still in the West. Uh, but they're there, and, and you're looking at all they've dealt with. Will Barton hasn't been great for a good chunk of the season when he came back from injury. So that ultimately was fair. It was easier than it was a couple weeks ago for me to put him there. Yeah, same for me. I, I think the injuries is a big one for me. The, the Nuggets – Missed really important players for long stretches of this season, and, and they're some of still them weren't good when they played. Like Gary Harris, how long did it take for him to find his yeah, shots? He never really got back to his 2017 uh, 18 self. And for the Nuggets to be where they are, is, it's a huge credit to Jokic. His per 75 possession numbers at this point are basically 24 points, 13 rebounds, and nine assists. Seems high. Uh, it, it's just insane. Another one of those MVP stat lines, a, a true shooting percentage near 60. Um, he's just been unreal. And it, as for Paul George still being in there, I saw some stuff recently on Twitter about, um, you know, he just had a couple of good months. He's he's not on KD's level. I've seen some people put KD on first team all NBA over Paul George. I do think that he did enough before he started to fall back down to earth to, to maintain his position. He was still first in real plus minus up until their most recent update on Monday. Um, he, because there's like Giannis, it's, it's both sides of the floor with him where he makes a huge impact. So I, I still think I'm very comfortable having him at number four. Although, I mean, like I've already said a few times now, I think I could probably shuffle in a a few different guys and still make compelling arguments for those, you know, fourth, fourth and fifth spots. 
Yeah, I'm with you. We have the same order for defensive player of the year. So uh, I'm going to run that off. Rudy Gobert, we have as our winner. Giannis Antetokounmpo at number two. Paul George at number three. There's, I'm sure you have all the Rudy Gobert stats ready. Um, one of the things that I, I think not ultimately swayed me on Gobert, but that's becoming a little bit overlooked about him, and he's not. I think there are bigs who are better at closing out and switching. And I, and when I say that, I mean I think there are probably quite a few bigs. But what he does um, as a rim protector is really just change the way that offenses have to approach the Jazz's defense. But this was a point made by Kevin Pelton that I think really resonates. Because the Jazz don't really ever have to send help, or that they can actively funnel guys into the paint, it allows their guys to stay home on shooters. And so functionally, Rudy Gobert is taking away the two most important shots of basketball, open three-pointers and quality looks at the rim. And when you're going to do that for what's been the best defensive team in the league for a long stretch of the season, I believe Milwaukee is still number one overall. But for him to do that, he is, and you've said it before, and I think we've all said it before, so it's he's a defensive system unto himself. And I this was tighter for me than the MVP. Well, it was about as tight for me as the MVP pick, actually. I really considered going with Giannis just because of what he can do across all five positions. I don't think he has a specialty, but the fact that he's just good in almost every area. I mean, if you look at the percentiles that he ends up in defensively across play types, it's just obnoxiously ridiculous. Yeah, I think Giannis has a very real case too. Um, he's he's versatile enough to guard every position. And, and again, his counting numbers here are crazy as well. Um, I just shared uh, Jokic's per 75 possession numbers. Giannis is 11 defensive rebounds, one and a half blocks, one and a half steals. He's he, he's a monster on defense. There's no question about it. I'm glad you brought up that Kevin Pelton article though, because I was just like thinking to myself, where did I see that <laughs> that stat? And as soon as you said Kev, Kevin Pelton, I thought, oh yeah. Um, the way he worded it was added up, and Gobert is key to taking away the two most efficient types of shots in the league, making him Defensive Player of the Year again. Um, he, <laughs> I can't really add to what you've already said, but I don't think it's quite on the same level. Um, but what Stephen Curry is to offense, I think Gobert is close to that, to a defense. I, I think you put him on just about any team in the league and you've pretty much sewn up a top five defense for the season. He's, he is that good, that important defensively. Um, and I, I think, is I actually think he's been the best defender in the league for three or four years now. I'm sure you're not surprised by that either. Um, so he's he's a fairly easy decision for me. I guess probably the same as I felt for the MVP one. Just kind of comfortable with it while still acknowledging that people who pick Giannis aren't aren't crazy for going there. And, and um, for Paul George, just yeah, number three, there was probably a point. I mean, when Oklahoma City had the best defense in the league, at one point I would probably say that he looked like a favorite. Um, I still respect what he does. Oklahoma City's defense has fallen off in recent weeks. He, he himself, though, without Andre Robertson there, he's just in this near constant state of recovery, which to me just makes it more impressive with what he does. It's you know mm-hmm. jumping to the lane for steals, but yet he has to make the shoot these crazy gaps on closeouts, and so he's not necessarily always defending the best guy. Well, that's part of his job, but he has to. And I don't want to call it a free safetyist because I don't uh, feel like it's that blatant. But when he's he's he just almost seems like he's in this near constant state of reaction. That's really tough to do on a consistent basis, particularly when you shoulder the load that he does 
on the offensive end. Yeah. Um, his candidacy is very real as well. And like you said, it was it extremely <laughs> real around January, February, but that late season sort of slide for the Thunder certainly hurt him in both of these award conversations. Most improved. That brings us to most improved. Yeah. Um, I have Pascal Siakam. I'm going to look at yours real quick. Um, we're actually slightly different on this one. We both have Pascal Siakam one, spoiler alert. I have D'Angelo Russell, too, and I have Buddy Heald at number three. Um, first, Yakum, and we can spend more time on him if you want, but my uh, average rankings uh, project, if you will, he was number 90 last season. He, he's number 17 this season. So if you sort every player in the league by the average of their ranks and in all the available catch-alls, um, Pascal Siakam comes in at number 17. Um, I'm not going to spoil later on when we talk about all NBA teams, but I think he has a real case for all NBA even. Um, if you're just looking at the advanced numbers, he's been ridiculous. D'Angelo Russell, I think, deserves credit as well. Um, basically 25-8 and eight for pace-adjusted, time-adjusted numbers. Um, true shooting percentage is a little below average, but he, he is the engine of that Brooklyn Nets team that's back in the playoffs. And then the one that's different um, – I went with Buddy Heald because I don't think this is – I mean, when I first started looking at his numbers, I thought, is this a case of a guy who just finally got the opportunity? Um, and sometimes I try to stay away from those kind of cases for most improved player, but I actually do think that he's improved uh, quite a bit. His scoring average went from 13.5 to 20.8. He had a, a decent boost in assists from 2 to 2.5. Rebounds went from 3.8 to 5. Um but where I really um, sort of – where my thoughts on this were sort of solidified as I looked over his numbers, his um, percentage of his attempts around the rim went from 16 to 19%. So 19% of his shots this year were within three, zero to three feet, and his percentage there went from 63 to 67. And then the percentage of his attempts – uh, dropped in all the non-efficient areas, like the three to 10 feet, 10 to 16, 16 feet to the three point line. They all dropped quite a bit and his three point attempt rate went up. So he improved the types of shots he was taking. Um, he was more efficient on all of his shots and to me really developed into one of the best two guards in the league this season. I, one of my, those blind comps you were talking about earlier, one of the ones I did maybe just a couple weeks ago was buddy healed versus clay Thompson and healed one in a landslide. Um, statistically, he's just he's been ridiculous this year. I mean, I can't can't really. I don't fault. I mean, no, I had two of your same picks. I picked Pascal Siakam as the winner as well. And so here's here's something that I think people confuse about him or mistake about his role in Toronto. Like this is not just someone who's benefiting from all the the great talent around him. Um, Pascal Siakam is shooting better yeah. than fifty five percent when he uses between three or three or more dribbles. That's absurd. I know field goal percentage isn't the best, but his effective field goal percentage, um, this is we're dealing with just two pointers. So it's yes, he's not taking off the dribble threes, but he's shooting uh fifty five about fifty five plus percent um on two pointers when he's using more than than three dribbles. So he handles the ball. This was something else that caught me off guard when I was coming across research for something else. Of the one hundred and ninety five players who have used at least fifty pick and roll possessions as a ball handler the top three in points per possession are Clay Thompson, Giannis, and Pascal Siakam. 
This is wow. a guy who's doing a bunch of different stuff. And mm-hmm. he, I think he does have a case for an all-NBA team. Um, he definitely has a case for all defense as well. I think Danny Green's been the more impactful defender for Toronto overall. But this is, he's legitimately good, so there's no qualms there. I didn't have D'Angelo Russell at two. Um, I had Montrez Harrell. He has been an absolute, just a, a beast of a player. Yep. It's, um, here, here is every player in NBA history um, who has averaged more than 20 points, eight rebounds, one steal, and one block per 36 minutes while matching uh, matching Trez's true shooting percentage. Giannis, Kevin Durant, and Charles Barkley twice. This is a guy who has plays called for him now, whether it's in the post, um, he has great pick-and-roll chemistry, two-man game with, with Lou Williams. I'm at this weird point, I don't want to spoil anything else, but I think Lou Williams is the clear pick for sixth man of the year, but I think Montrez Harrell is the better, more valuable player. Is that like the stupidest thing in the world? No. To say. I don't. I don't think that's stupid at all. Um, Montres Harrell in the average rankings project is thirty-eight, and Lou Williams is seventy-one. Now, a couple of the numbers that are in there, especially win shares, tend to. Um, I, I. It seems like they maybe artificially boost big men a little bit, but I. I do think there's a case to be made that Montres Harrell has been the more important guy off the bench uh, for the Clippers this season. He. He has been ridiculous um but as we get into six nine of the year there's there are some very uh worthy candidates on that one too yeah and so so that's why i went with him as number two and i actually considered going for him with number one because i think he's maybe it faded because he was so good for the entire year and that case was kind of built at the beginning of the season and then we see what happens in brooklyn we see what happens with the kings uh, Buddy Heald, I think, was a solid pick. The reason I didn't pick De'Aaron Fox, and he probably would have been the clear winner, I just don't pick sophomores. Yeah, just, the first or second year. Yeah, yeah. It's whether you like that or not. Look, if you if you want to pick De'Aaron Fox, I'm not going to argue with you. He improved a great deal. Um, and then D'Angelo Russell was number three for me. It's has nothing to do with it. With it's everything you said. He's spearheading the hopes of a playoff team. He's taking a lot of the same shots that he's always took. He's just hitting them at a, a higher clip. But is he's really come a long way as a leader. Uh, I would have liked to have seen more improvement from him as a, a finisher around the rim, maybe get to the line a little bit more and, and not settle as much because those shots aren't always going to fall. I'm very interested to see how he's going to fare against playoff defenses. But if you want to put him at number one, I'm not going to argue with you with you either. And so I know people think I'm too low on D'Angelo Russell, and perhaps I am. I'm just at a point he's, you know, want to call him a borderline star, an all-star because he was an all-star. I, I wouldn't pay him anything close to max money still. I just I would need to see another year of this before I did that. Sixth man of the year. Um, we, we did not diverge again. Um, I think we were exact one. on. Oh, no, we reversed one. So we both had Lou Williams winning. Just, I mean, the dude just, this is like a more efficient version of, this is, Lou Williams is who everyone thought Jamal Crawford was. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. he's so efficient out of the pick and roll. He can get you buckets from scratch. He, again, he's developed a great two-man chemistry with Trez. Just absurd with the scoring numbers he can puts up, and you you know I almost didn't want to pick him for this award. He's he's not really a sixth man. I mean he is, but like this is a guy who plays starter minutes, and it's you just know that he's his name just isn't going to be announced at the beginning of the game, and that's how I feel. I don't necessarily feel that way about Trez just yet. He's their go to closer. Um, it'll be interesting to see. He's he's never performed great in the playoffs, and I think when you tend to rely on free throws a lot. That can be the case, but I wouldn't put anything past him this season. Number two, I had DeMantis Sabonis. There was a point where I thought he became a little bit overrated. 
Uh, you might be looking at mine. What's that? Oh, I had oh, – whoops. I had Trez number two. I'm not going to go into detail with that. And I had – just because I already made his case. And then Sabonis at number three. That's funny that I was looking at yours. Um, there was a point where I thought he became a little bit overrated when we were talking about, oh, is he better than Miles Turner? I I don't think he is. Uh, maybe there was, there was definitely a point in the season where perhaps he was. That being said, I, what's going to happen when he, if or what would happen if he was facing more starter-level competition – um, does his does his defense hurt them more? Is he as good as a scorer in those situations? All of that aside, the Pacers have found some paths to a few effective Sabonis-Turner combinations, and his efficiency on the offensive end is ridiculous. He's a fantastic passer, one of the best passing bigs in the game right now. So I don't think – it's pretty clear to me that I think the sixth man of the year should come from the Clippers, whether it be Trez or Lou Williams. Sabonis to me though very clearly needs to be in the, in the top three. I don't know that there's a case for him to win this award, but he's very clearly in the top three. So I think this might be the first time I've looked at um, Lou Williams' time and, and pace adjusted numbers because as you were talking about him, I, I had pulled up his basketball reference page and he's averaging 20 points. And then I looked at his minutes. He's averaging 26.6 minutes. Um which is it's kind of low. So his numbers per 75 possessions, 27 points and seven assists at basically league average true shooting. Um, and another thing that I looked up while I was um, preparing for this earlier was his, his net rating swing. On cleaning the glass, uh, the Clippers are 6.4 points per 100 possessions. Um, their net rating is 6.4 points better when lose on the floor, which is in the 87th percentile um i i think you summed it up perfectly when you said he is what everyone thought jamal crawford was um and and to bring it back to the lakers i was looking at guys that they have given up over the last few years and it's been a while for lou williams he hasn't played for the lakers since um 16 17 so yeah it's 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 been a while but he has had some ridiculous seasons um since he left there, back-to-back years, averaging 20 points this year, doing it in, in fewer than 27 minutes a game. Again, it's just crazy. I went with Sabonis number two over Harrell, and this is almost a coin flip for me. Um, I, I think they're the two best bigs off the bench right now. I I think what swayed me towards Sabonis in the end is the passing. Um, 4.2 assists per 75 possessions is is huge. Um, I think he's a little bit better rebounder too. He's obviously not the same um, dynamic athlete that Harrell is. I, I think they have slightly different strengths, but again, this is this is sort of a coin flip to me. I just I was I think swayed by the passing in the end for Sabonis. Yeah, I, I mean that's I I think that's totally fair. Coach of the year, I think we are different on this one. Um, this is another one that's there's a bunch of different guys you can make a case for. I went with doc rivers. Um, and the reason being before this season, I just, I didn't, I thought the Clippers were going to miss the playoffs. Um, when they traded Tobias Harris, I really thought they were going to fall off that, that seemed like the white flag move to me. And for them to just keep chugging along the way they have, um, I, I think rivers deserves credit for having this ridiculous bench. Um, I think he deserves credit for finally trusting a rookie playing Shea Gilgis Alexander all these minutes this season. Um, The Clippers have just so vastly exceeded my expectations 
um, that he's he's my number one. And it's a similar argument for my number two in Nate McMillan. Um, I you know I figured the Pacers would be good this year, but when Victor Oladipo got hurt, I just thought they're they're in deep deep trouble now. And they haven't been they you know they haven't been lights out since Oladipo was hurt. Uh, but for them to sort of tread water in his absence is really impressive to me too. He's got a really strong uh, defensive philosophy in place there, and they just kind of kept chugging along without him. And then my third one um, is Mike Budenholzer, who I so I've heard this this debate a lot recently. Like, should he be faulted for the fact that he's got the best player? Should he be faulted for what a good job? the um front office did of putting this roster together should he be faulted for um just having these obvious fixes that needed to be made and he just went ahead and made them um but the the bucks are still the best team in the league uh, in terms of regular season numbers uh and i do think he deserves some credit for that and and he's obviously proven to be a good um coach in the past he 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 engineered that 61 hawks team and won coach of the year that season. So he's my number three. Um, but again, this is <laughs> every one of these categories is, is really, really difficult for me this season. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually a little bit surprised that first of all, doc rivers lost points for me for playing Avery Bradley way too much. I, at the that in my head, as I was prepping for this earlier today, I thought, can I, can I really give him coach of the year when he was so adamant about that? Every Bradley hasn't helped the team in so long. So yeah, I mean, fair point there. It's, and I'm just wondering, is there an element of the Clippers saved him from himself by the front office making a lot that, of these moves and finding these talents and making these draft decisions? I don't want to take anything away from doc. This is probably the best or second best coaching job of his career, but it's, I went with the, I think it's safe to say the conventional pick odds on favorite in Mike Buttonholzer for all the reasons you just listed out, I don't know that we can call them obvious changes because Jason Kidd never made them. Like he totally reworked the Bucks' offensive shot profile. He also changed the way that they play defense. Like that matters, and he's getting guys to buy in. Have you ever seen Eric Bledsoe defend this well for an entire year? That's a, yeah, those are good points. Um, Chris Middleton is he still looks uncomfortable at times in the offense, but Mike Bunholzer got him to buy in. Um, and it's not. It wasn't even just a matter of oh, they have Brooke Lopez. Like he was getting minute, he or not was he is getting minutes or has gotten minutes from end of rotation type guys that were already there. DJ Wilson has played well this year. They've gotten some quality minutes at times from Sterling Brown. Now we're seeing them sort of successfully navigate injuries because they just got they got slammed <laughs> towards the end of the yeah. season after having great health. So the hardest thing in the NBA for to me is to make that leap from a really good team or should be really good team to a great team. And that's what the Bucks did. And they did it without overhauling the roster, which then speaks to the importance of coaching is where I end up. I did have Doc Rivers second, all the reasons you just said, and Mike Malone. I mean, all the the damn injuries in Denver. Uh, they that's... didn't ha- I mean, and you look at minutes they've gotten from Monte Morris, uh, Malik Beasley, putting him into the rotation. I know injuries necessitated at one point. I think he's just done a terrific job there. And the connection that he has with Jokic is it's been written about, but it's it's definitely important um, because there are times where maybe he could have become disenchanted. He does seem like he's not a difficult player to coach, but we're talking about those when he used to disappear in the fourth quarter. And this might speak more about last season than this season and Malone would bench him, but like that relationship never really seemed like it was shook. Um, something else that's a little bit underrated is you kind of look at what's happened to Paul Millsap's offensive role 
not a peep out of him. I think he's just the type of player that would buy into whatever, but that's not, that's not really easy to do either. And so just that combined with all the injuries, their place in the Western conference, um, definitely a third place finish for me. Executive of the year. Um, and this is maybe part of why I have Budenholzer at number three, because I, I just think there is so much credit to go around and maybe, maybe I should have just given the bucks, the MVP coach of the year, executive of the year sweep. Um, but I did go John Horst bucks, general manager for executive of the year. He made the Eric Bledsoe trade last year. And like you said, Bledsoe has been ridiculous this season. Um, the Brooke Lopez signing this summer turned out to be one of the best value deals of the entire summer. Um, and, and then obviously shout out to Mike Budenholzer for utilizing him correctly. Uh, they, the way that they inverted the court and and put Lopez 25, 30 feet from the rim to give Giannis more room to operate. Um, the Bucks in general have just they, – they've had such a incredible season. Um, and I think the architect of it deserves some credit. My number two on executive of the year is Sean Marks. Um, just the beginning where – the, where the Nets were to where they are now, and it's always been sort of a – cliche for um basketball writers to praise sean marks but he deserves it he's he's earned all that praise um it, it's been an amazing turnaround for them already back in the playoffs and then Masayu jiri uh the Kawhi leonard deal was just a massive upgrade from demar Derozan to Kawhi leonard um he he kept most of that really good bench intact uh, i think that danny green you you've mentioned this a few times but it's just crazy that he was kind of considered the throw-in in that deal because he's been incredibly important to them. And now Marcus Gasol is looks like he's going to be really helpful for them in the playoffs. So this is another, <laughs> I'm probably going to say this with every single category that we get to, but it's, this is a tough call. Um, in the end, I went with the best team. Yeah. No, I mean, your choices are all legitimate. I had Lawrence Frank. This is, it's funny how our, I think our coach of the year picks were shaped by our executive. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Of the year <laughs> picks. And so I went with Lauren, Flan- Lauren Frank, Lawrence Frank of the Clippers the roster they've put together, but look at the players that they've lost over the past two years. Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, and they're still hovering close to 50 victories and a, a solid playoff spot in the West. This isn't the eighth team right now. They were sixth last time I checked. I mean, that's incredible. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I uh, still wish the Knicks would have drafted him, but whatever. Um, just, a, like, what a pickup by them. Uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see what Jerome Robinson turns into. There was a point where he had some nice moments this year, but just pick like miniature strokes of genius. That was a great return on Tobias Harris, who was a free agent this summer that not that they didn't want to keep, but they definitely didn't want to pay because they want a tried and true superstar. And so you get Landry Shamit, who's probably second team, all rookie. Um, and yep. that Miami heat pick from Philly. That's just masterful. And then on top of that, um, and they are eighth, so I shouldn't even say that, but still to have 47 victories, uh, you get the point there, like to go and to turn Avery Bradley, into Jamichael Green and Garrett Temple. Oh my God. I'm not saying that that, and then the, the Zubak trade, I know that was more so the Lakers stupidity than um, <laughs> Clipper strokes. That's just the, the front office there. It's just in, in great shape. And I think they need to be recognized for it. I went with Eugerius second. I almost put Sean Mark second, but the swing that Eugeri took is among the hardest to take in basketball it's it doesn't even matter if you have absolute job security because it's the type of deal that can fall or blow up in your face if Kawhi Leonard didn't have a great year 
forget about him leaving after this season because of his contract. If he didn't have a great year and the the Raptors were something less than a favorite coming out of the East, you've you've almost failed. And you did it while trading away a, a beloved player from fans. You isolated Kyle Lowry. That relationship's never going to be the same. But then to go and pull off the Marcus Gasol trade and again the Danny Green stuff, uh, the Raptors are probably the the second or third best team equipped to compete with the Warriors in the finals, in my opinion. I might put the Bucks ahead of them, and that's I, I still go back and forth with the Celtics, although ultimately it doesn't matter since I don't think they'll get there. So hats off to Ujiri. And then Marks, it's kind of di- difficult to pinpoint any one thing he's done. And the thing about this award is we often find ourselves rewarding like past seasons as worth yeah. of decisions. It's uh, like it always takes a year or two for the award to catch up, it seems like. Right. And so you know what? Just like the vets he's put in place, the culture that's in Brooklyn is just – and I was around them – during the first year and a half that they were going uh, of the Sean Marks era. And that the fact that they had all this roster turnover, they were losing, but like the locker room never seemed shaken. Um, even Brooke Lopez at the time, his name was constantly involved in trade rumors. They just know how to treat players, how to handle players. They know what to value in leadership around the locker room. And he's a big part of that. And yes, him and his staff have just found some Great finds off the cuff. I mean, you not off the cuff, but I mean, like, Rodian's Kuroots is going to be a really good player. Picking up D'Angelo Russell, and again, this is going back as part of that salary dump. Um, even though, I mean, like, Trevion Graham was starting for them at one point. So just like these just little, smaller-scale moves, they, they tend to reflect. And so why I probably didn't put them higher is I think that this might not be the year where it, it, I think you rely too much on what's happened in some as opposed to this season when you go with Sean Marks as the winner. Yeah. Rookie of the year. Uh, I would guess that we have the same picks here. Oh, what? Oh, my God. All right. I'm going to get mine out of the way. Luka Doncic <laughs> at number one. Trey Young made an interesting push, but this is more. This is similar to the Giannis-James Harden debate. There is just, like, wire to wire, Luka Doncic was the best rookie. Plus, he had some trademark moments. Plus, Trey Young isn't nearly as good um, as James Harden in this conversation. I had Trey Young at number two, and then I had DeAndre Ayton at, at number three. And there was a point where it looked like, one, how many times am I going to say there was a point during this podcast? But it definitely seemed at some portion of the season that he was going to be the consensus number two. And it took Trey Young's really meteoric rise to to usurp him there. And I think had he been on a better team, we might have been talking about him even more favorably in this conversation that he made so much progress offensively. I'm interested to see if he can do more stuff off the dribble. I think he got a lot better as a rim protector and in pick and roll coverage defensively um, as the season went on. And, and he's going to be a hell of a player for them. I still think though, that any team that had the opportunity to draft Luka Doncic and did not made a mistake. And that would be the Kings. That would be the Suns, And that would be the Hawks as well. Huge mistake. Um, I, I think he's clearly, the rookie of the year. Trey Young has had an incredible two or three month stretch, uh, especially for a rookie. I just kind of picked a random number since February 1st. He's at 23 points, nine assists, five rebounds, um, 37% from three. He's been very, very good. But I think a lot of people are ignoring uh, his defensive issues that have kind of persisted throughout the year, uh, even during his, his recent hot streak offensively. Um, Luka Doncic isn't a lights out defender himself, but I don't think he actively hurts Dallas on that end, at least not to the degree that Trey Young does. And his season long numbers are just absurd. He's 19 years old and he's averaging 24 points, nine rebounds and seven assists. 
per 75 possessions and one steal. His true shooting percentage is about 1% below uh, league average. He's got a triple-double tonight um, as we record this. I mean, he's, he's trying just... to steal Dirk's thunder, Andy. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, Trey Young made this... Um, he made this interesting for a month or two, but I think it's always been Luca. And then your reaction to my number three is perfect. <laughs> I went with Mitchell Robinson. Um, and that, that might, people might be taken aback by that. Might? Go ahead. Might? That's how people might be taken aback by that. So here, I tried not to rely too heavily on, um, where players are in my average player rankings thing, because I think sometimes I do get a little bit carried away with it. However, <laughs> Luca is first among rookies in that that's, that should come as no surprise to anyone. He's first among rookies and he's 48th overall. Um, so for, you know, whatever it's worth that thing that considers him a top 50 player that system does Mitchell Robinson is number 53 overall. And number two among rookies. And I thought, do I really want to do this? Do I want to put him in my top three? Has he played enough? Um, and then I looked up the minutes, and it's not even close to what Aiton's done. Aiton's played about 2,000, and Mitchell Robinson's only played 1,300. But I, I looked at 1,300, and I thought, that that's enough of a role this season for me to, to honor um, what, he's, what he's done uh, in terms of the advanced numbers, he's just been ridiculous on those. And then the last thing I'll say on that, um, he's got a ways to go in terms of timing and communication and knowing when to sell out for blocks and knowing when to stay home. Um, he's got a little bit of Hassan Whiteside in him when it comes to chasing um, the block shots, but he he is on track to be a very uh, impactful defender, rim runner type of a, type of a player. If you sort the entire NBA, not just rookies and blocks per seventy five possessions, he's first at four point four. Um, can you guess how much of a gap there is between him and number two? Uh, I'm going to say three. Um, three point four. So you were pretty close. Miles Turner three point four. Mitchell Robinson four point four. Um, again. those numbers could go down as he kind of learns discretion on the defensive end. Uh, But he's, he's got some physical tools uh, and instincts as a shot blocker that could make him one of the best defensive bigs in the league in the next couple of years. Um, That's clearly the best rookie on the New York Knicks. And they've, they've really got something there with him. So he is my number three. I, I, had a little bit of an internal struggle because I actually think DeAndre Ayton's become slightly underrated at this point, but Mitchell Robinson is just, he's an analytics darling and I, I got to squeeze at least one of them in there. I mean, uh, all right then. That's <laughs> 1300 minutes and third place. I'm working. I mean, you should have committed to it and put him second then if you're going to go that far, but well, <laughs> I mean, I, Trey young has certainly carried a much bigger load. Um, than Mitchell Robinson has. And just to prove that I'm not completely uh, enslaved by those rankings, Trey Young is, where is he? I think he's like eighth or ninth among rookies. Ninth among rookies. So, um, and it's, especially with young guys, we've talked about this before. Sometimes you just have to throw the advanced numbers out for the first couple of years. 
um, it, it just takes a little while for, for them to catch up on those things. I mean, um, that's really sweet of you to say. <laughs> I am I am successfully floored, floored, but I think you justified it well. He's um, I don't know what it says about the Knicks rebuild, that he's their most promising prospect at the moment, but, um, you know, what, what are you going to do? Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At GetEthos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork, no meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Getethos.com. Getethos.com. Uh, let's just go to all rookie from here. My first team, and I'm actually looking at your first team as we speak. We, uh, we didn't differ too much. I had Luka Doncic, Trey Young, DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley the third, and Shea Gilgis Alexander. By the way, what I like about all rookie is that we can throw positions out the window. Yeah, which is what it should be for everything, probably. Yeah, I'm with you. I've got Luka, Trey. Aiton, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, and then instead of Marvin Bagley, I have uh, my number three in the Rookie of the Year race, Mitchell Robinson. I had Robinson on second team, so there's that. I didn't know what to do with Jaron Jackson Jr., but you know what? Especially because you just made a case for Mitchell Robinson. Uh, he yeah. played more <laughs> minutes than Mitchell Robinson. He made my second team. Landry Shamet made my second team. Colin Sexton made my second team. There might be people who put him on first, and if you're going to dump one of the bigs and you know put him instead of Bagley I might not push back too far against that we talked about him a lot on the podcast this year for people who are just listening or don't remember about how we didn't really appreciate his shot selection but were marveled at how well he was shooting from three and then he really just continued to improve upon that and made better decisions as a passer I, I there needs to be more of it from him though his career arc is one I'm very interested to follow. My other pick, which might be surprising, I had Miles Bridges. I'm not sure how many people followed the Hornets too closely this season, but he is just, he's the epitome of active just everywhere. And I think from what I've seen off of some, some of the moves he's made off the catch when he just dribbles towards the rim, finishing could probably be a little bit better. There might be a chance that he really turns into a guy who can handle the ball, but just his switchiness on defense, his hustle there, getting up at the rim to contest shots. He, he grabs a good amount of rebounds, a nice little gap filler on offense, three-point shot still needs to come along. I really, really like him. And if you want me to say something good about the Hornets' future, it's going to be two words, Miles Bridges, and then I'm probably going to stop there. Although, all right, Dwayne Bacon and Devontae Graham have played pretty well lately. <laughs> My second team is Bagley, and I don't have a problem with I don't I don't have a problem with you picking him picking him first team. I think he's been a lot better than I expected this season as well. I also have Jaron Jackson, Landry Shamet, Colin Sexton. I was actually kind of torn on. Um, he, he almost didn't even make second team for me, but again, I, I think we can kind of throw out advanced stats, which really do not like him um, for first and second year players. And, and a guy who's carrying an offensive load as big as he has this season and to shoot over 40%. Um, 
another one that just it just wildly uh, exceeded expectations. Um, and then did I name my fifth? I think Michael Bridges uh, was my fifth. So we each went with a Bridges. We just uh, chose the different one. He on a Suns team that's obviously struggled all season long. Their net rating was 3.4 points per 100 possessions better when Michael Bridges was on the floor. And one thing that I tracked a lot this season, this isn't necessarily a, a, a great point for his individual second team case, um, but when they did play Booker with a bunch of wings, it seemed like it kind of worked. So maybe that's something that they can lean on a little bit heavier next season. I mean, it would certainly help if TJ Warren could stay healthy for them, but they've they've got some interesting young pieces on that team. Yeah, for sure. Um, all defense was extremely tough. I, it's always the toughest one for me. Me too. My first team is for my guards. I had Eric Bledsoe and Danny Green. For my forwards, I had Giannis Attentacumpo and Paul George. For my center, I had Rudy Gobert. Uh, chalk. <laughs> nice. I didn't even look. Look at that. I went the same um, as you on that. And I honestly did not look either until after I had said it. And I was like, holy cow. Um, Eric Bledsoe note real quick. This is from Krishna Narsu, who writes for Nylon Coculus. Um, he tweeted this today, actually. Point guards have averaged 5.2 points per 100 possessions uh, less than they normally do when Eric Bledsoe is matched up on them. You mentioned this earlier for your your case on Mike Budenholzer for Coach of the Year. Um the buy-in from Bledsoe has just been ridiculous. He he has been incredible defensively for them all season. I think he's a big part of their success. Danny Greens, who who has been a plus-minus um, god for a few years now, found an, an even crazier level with the Raptors this season somehow. He's been like top five in total plus-minus the entire year. He's still this just incredible transition defense weapon. Um, maybe that'll go on his uh, – <laughs> I was going to say his Hall of Fame plaque, but I can't follow through with that joke. But he's a transition defense wizard. Giannis, obviously, um, I I guess the rest of my first team is just my top three in the defensive player of the year voting. So I've I've talked about all them already. So Giannis, George, and and Gobert to round that out. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on everything you said there. My second team, I think we diverged only on two players here from what I saw of yours. Maybe it was three. Um, yeah, it was three players, right? So the, the two players that we share, I had Drew Holiday as a guard. You had Drew Holiday as well. There were people that said he regressed, regressed this year. There's there's definitely a case there when you're looking at what happened to him when he was on the ball. And there were I know people discredit this, but when you look at what he needs to do offensively, if you trans like that responsibility that he carries there, and then he has to go and cover all these different, uh, basically one through threes on the defensive end and still does such a good job. I'm not saying his offensive performance needs to come into account, but that workload there to then still have to expend all that energy on the defensive side of the ball on a team that really doesn't have any other good defenders aside from Anthony Davis. That's a big deal. And he, he might've made my first team if uh, he just would have played a little bit more this year, but the Pelican season just went to crap and, and he was banged up. And then we both had miles Turner who just a, a defensive monster this year is just so good as a not the switchiest big but so good as a drop back guy still uh not again he's not Rudy Gobert but to just have someone from one of the league's best defenses you can just depend on at the rim and you don't need to send help and you can count on him to make some nice rotations and he really just pops up in places at the right time that's a huge deal so I think he deserves to make uh 
a second team all defense there. He's not going to make first because that's going to go to to Gobert, or at least it should. Yep. Um, I also had Drew Holiday and Miles Turner. The rest of my second team was Paul Millsap. Um, he's just for a team that has so many, uh, I think individually subpar defenders for him to, to kind of anchor that defense for Denver, I think is significant. Um, Denver's defensive rating is 3.9 points better per hundred possessions when he's on the floor, 84th percentile. Uh, he, he really is just sort of the middle linebacker for that defense and, and certainly makes him a lot better when he's on the floor on that end. Draymond Green, um, I, it seems like it took him a while to get going this year, but he's looked more like his old self the last uh, month or two. Maybe he's gearing up for a playoff run. Um, and then my last one is Chris Paul, uh, who missed a ton of time this season, but he is close to 2,000 minutes. He's up over 1,800 minutes. Um, he's fourth in the league in steals per possession, um, trailing only <laughs> – the top three is kind of funny – Cephalosha, DeAnthony Melton, and Shaq Harrison. And then there's Chris Paul. Um, and then Chris Paul, same thing with cleaning the glass that I looked up for, uh, Paul Millsap, the Rockets defensive rating is 8.4 points per hundred possessions better when Chris Paul's on the floor, which is in the 97th percentile. Um, so he was, he was my other guard for second team, all defense holiday, Paul Millsap, Green and Turner. Paul is an interesting one. Um, he just missed so much time with his hamstring injury, but he well, has played 57 games. So I put Corey Joseph and I don't know if that's going to surprise anybody, but he's been a monster defensively for the Pacers. He, that's essentially the only reason they play him because he's been God awful on the offensive end this year. Um, a stat that I found interesting is over the past 20 years, players who have logged more than 2000 minutes while matching Corey Joseph's defensive box plus minus defensive rebounding percentage and steal percentage. They come up a bunch of times, but it's only two players, Andre Godal and Jason Kidd over the past 20 years. That's it. So a couple of great defenders. Yeah. He's been a monster. I have PJ Tucker who the Rockets have quietly been one of the better defensive teams of late. They are 11th in defensive efficiency since January 1st, fifth since February 1st and second since the all-star break. He's just a huge part of what they do. And um, I could not have been – we were all wrong about the Kings in the offseason, but the Rockets might be the team that I was most wrong about after that, just looking at what they've been able to do. They're still the biggest threat in the Western Conference to the Warriors, and if they're – I don't think we can say that they have a great defense, but if they're going to play league average defense heading into the postseason and kind of stick there, that they are a, a legitimate threat to Golden State. So kudos to Daryl Morey for – uh, everyone made a big deal, including myself, about them losing Bamute and Trevor Reason. Look how their seasons turned out. Uh, Bamute barely played, then was released by the Clippers just this week, and Trevor Reza was not great. Signed in Phoenix for the bag and then ended up in Washington. So, again, nice job by him really filling in some holes with, with guys throughout the season when you look at – hasn't always been consistent, but the Austin Rivers pickup for Reed, uh, House, uh, Gary Clark, just uh, – a nice job there in Houston to recover. It helps that James Harden went bonkers. And then I went with Draymond Green. His effort has admittedly waxed and waned, but he's still a cheat code defensively for the Warriors. One of the highest high Q defenders that I've ever watched. Uh, I'm 30 years old, so maybe that's not saying much. But when he plays center, the Warriors are still an elite defensive team. And that says a lot when you look at how many of these guys 
check out at different points. So I, I think he deserves it. I did heavily consider Pascal Siakam for that spot, though. Yeah, he's he should be in consideration. And I actually had PJ Tucker um, typed into my one of my forward slots at one point. I just um, I, I just flipped it to Millsap because I was uh, as I was looking at Chris Paul's numbers, I thought, can I have two rockets on? second team all defense with a, a defense that's been a season long, I guess, kind of average, but um, certainly no, uh, no big argument for me on any of those guys. Um, we are on all NBA, our final category. Um, we actually have, I had Kevin Durant on my first team. I gave it more thought today and just Paul George was too dominant. So I believe for most of the year. So I believe, and, and Kevin Durant, by the way, shooting, below league average from three this year or right at league average 35.5 percent that's something to just i didn't realize that uh our first teams are the same stephen curry and james harden are our guards Giannis Antetokounmpo and paul george are our forwards and then we have Nikola Jokic as the center did you consider putting rudy gobert here andy (laughs) um no but i did have a a serious internal struggle over second team um for Paul George, I I get the uh, the um, sorry. <laughs> I just got your text. Where'd you go from when the uh, my my connection dropped out for whatever reason? Um, Paul George still to this point in the season, even after the the struggles over the last month or however long it's been, OKC's net rating is still eighteen point two points per hundred possessions better with him on the floor. That's ninety eighth percentile. Uh, the only guy, or the, there's actually two people ahead of him now, um, two players with 500 minutes that are ahead of him. Uh, one is, actually, that's not even right. They've got Stephen Curry sorted ahead of him because they're both in the 98th percentile, but his is only 17 and a half. Mark Gasol, the Raptors only version of Mark Gasol is 20, plus 22.4, 100th percentile. But, um, Paul George is still just a, he, he has been a huge, huge part of what OKC has done this season and they have fallen apart without him on the floor. So he's still first team to me. Um, Jokic, I think is, is fairly easily first team for me, although there's a lot of debate on the internet about him or MB. And I think a ton of people are going to go with MB and I actually think he might end up winning it. Um, is, is there any pause for you between those two? There really isn't for me, but Joe, I will say Joe Helmbeat's an offensive monster. Yeah, he's he, he's incredible. Um, and I'll just jump in. He's my second team center. Um, my second team actually looks a little different than I expected before I did this. I've got Lillard and Irving at the guard spots, which I don't think is surprising. Then De- uh, Kevin Durant at the first forward spot. Again, not surprising for a guy that's that's starting to get a lot of first team love. And then I have Blake Griffin. Um, second team forward, and then Joel Embiid, uh, second team center. Again, I <laughs> this is another one where I had a different guy typed in. I had Gobert there. Um, and if you look at those average player rankings, Gobert is number five in the NBA right now, and Joel Embiid is number 11. Um, but I just... <laughs> Joel Embiid, another thing that I relied heavily on as I looked at this is that net rating swing. Phillies is 14.8 points better with Embiid on the floor, which is 97th percentile. That's huge. And, and as I was trying to talk myself into Gobert's second team, I added up 
points plus points generated by assist plus points generated by screen assist, thinking that, you know, if I throw screen assists into here, maybe I can, maybe it'll look closer. Gobert will be, you know, within um, striking range of him. With all three of those combined, Embiid is averaging 48.6 per 36 minutes, and Gobert's right at 39. So, I mean, it's a pretty big gap there. I think Gobert is a comfortably better defender than Joel Embiid, and I do think he's an underrated offensive weapon. But overall, when I combine both ends of the floor, even though my own little advanced numbers uh, project uh, disagrees with me, I went with Joel Embiid, second team. I had Joel Embiid, second team as well. And then I had, I thought about not because he didn't play enough, Kawhi Leonard, but he has just been so good offensively, even with the downtick in his three-point shooting. Kevin Durant made my second team. Uh, his playmaking for a lot of the season was absurd, and he's still, he's, Insofar as a superstar can fly under the radar, he he's done so. And his season has been one still one of the most efficient in NBA history. This is the um fifth time in his career that he has averaged where is it? I had it written down here. This is the fifth time in his career that he's cleared 25 points per game with a true shooting percentage better than 62. Stephen Curry and LeBron James have as many such seasons combined. Adrian Dantley is the only other player to hit those benchmarks in five seasons in NBA history. So that's just, he, he's there for me. I think his season's been probably because of the free agency stuff and the Warriors drama. It's been almost a little underrated or at least flown under the radar a little bit. Then I had Damian Lillard. I That shouldn't surprise you since I had him um, fifth on my MVP ballot. It does seem weird that I didn't put Stephen Curry on my MVP ballot, but he's my first team. Uh, there's That's a decision that I'll weigh more. Um, there was just playing time and circumstances. The anecdotal argument there with what Portland's had to go through, they've had to be better amid continuity that wasn't good enough to beat the Pelicans last year. And then Kyrie Irving made my second team. Uh, for Joel Embiid and Rudy Gobert, who didn't make my third team, and then I'll let you carry away with your rest of your third team picks, I, you hit it right on the head. And it's Rudy Gobert, he, he is more of an offensive weapon than people realize. And I think I, I sent this to you about um, something that we'll be publishing on him uh, that I wrote, his screens, they're a form of playmaking. His rolls to the basket are magnetic. And, and so are his offensive rebounds. And, well, he, that's the other thing. So he isn't cooking people off the dribble, but his putbacks are a form of self-sufficiency as well. And yep. I use this number. I know you compared him to Clay Thompson, but that's just – doesn't play the same position, and Clay Thompson's the third option on his team. I just I feel I feel like still that, – that's going to lead me to my point about Embiid. But – Oh, just over 26% of Rudy Gobert's buckets have gone unassisted. That's closer to guys than you think. Anthony Davis is at 34.7. Carl Anthony Towns is at 34.4. And Vooch is at 29.1. So I just found that, again, not up there, but it's clo- especially the uh, Vucevic one, that's closer than people realize. Where yeah. I think you have to pick and be, though, is because he is carrying an offense on his own, and Rudy Gobert can't do that. Uh, the Jazz are terrible when he plays without Donovan Mitchell on the offensive side of the floor. It does help that they can still be a net plus because of what he does on defense, but to me, that's what's going to always separate him from some players. Right now, he's better than Klay Thompson. If I said, give these guys the team, they have to be the best player, or they have to be the only star on their team. Um, I do think that Klay Thompson is going to have a much easier time piloting an offense than Rudy Gay, just like I, uh, Rudy Gobert. Wow. Uh, just like I think that Gobert would have a much easier time anchoring a top-notch defense anywhere he plays compared to a lot of these other players, Clay Thompson included. All right, on to uh, third team. And I'll 
I, I have LeBron and Kawhi as my third team forwards. I I have LeBron Le- as well. Um, so you can speak for both of us because I'm sure it's going to be the same thing I say. LeBron in my all season long, he's he's had the individual numbers to make a case for second team. Um, but the number of games missed, plus the fact that the Lakers are out of the playoffs, I, I kind of docked him there, which is funny because I wasn't docking guys for games missed in other spots. So maybe there's a little bit of inconsistency there. But when it was really close, that was that was sort of a deciding factor for me. Same thing with Kawhi Leonard, who has been ridiculous this season, but he's just he's just taken time off, um, a lot of time off this season. And I think Blake Griffin deserves credit for putting up the numbers that he has this season and just being available for the Pistons right. all season long, which is it's especially meaningful for him because he's battled so many injuries over the course of his career. And he's he's been fantastic for them this season. One of the craziest stats of the whole year to me is the fact that he leads his team in three-pointers made. It's just, <laughs> just crazy to me. Um, Gobert's my third team center. Again, that's, that, that is a really tough call. Uh, between second and third team for me, I could I could go either way on that one. My guards for the third team are Eric Bledsoe, who's been just ridiculous for them defensively, and he's he's had some big moments offensively as well. And then I I went with Russell Westbrook as my last guard. I his shooting percentages are disastrous. There's no question about it. Um, he does hunt for triple doubles, and I get why that turns some people off, but I. It, it is still astounding to me that he has averaged a triple double for three consecutive seasons in each of these last three seasons. It, it just blows my mind. If somebody had said that that was going to happen even five years ago, I, I would not, it just wouldn't have made any sense to me. Um, and as a kid who grew up, like I, I really started to care about the NBA. It was right around the year that Jason Kidd and Grant Hill shared the rookie of the year award. Um, and triple doubles were a huge deal with Jason Kidd. I I remember the triple double burger at McDonald's because of Jason Kidd. Um, so triple doubles, I know they're this. A lot of people think they're this arbitrary, meaningless thing that we just kind of invented, but they're still cool to me. And the fact that he's done it for three straight years, um, stat hunting notwithstanding, is is just crazy impressive to me. Yeah, yeah, this was, I mean, this was tough. Uh, like I said, I had Rudy Gobert and LeBron James. I put Blake Griffin here. Kind of slipped off towards the end of the season. I know he looks like he's definitely been banged up and that it's starting to get to him. But the load he's carried in Detroit all year by being mostly healthy. And the only reason that they're still in the playoff hunt, uh, I thought they were going to really play themselves out of it, uh, that they came from behind to beat the tank and Grizzlies. Kudos, kudos to them. Uh, <laughs> The guards were harder, though, um, and I put Kemba Walker and Bradley Beal. For me, the, this would still be subject to change. If the if the Hornets make the playoffs, there this wouldn't even be a contest for me. He would need to be on the third team. The degree of difficulty on his shots, he takes more contested jumpers in the NBA than anyone not named James Harden. Uh, their their entire offense in charge is built around this idea that he can hit these ridiculously tough shots. I don't care that his efficiency has dropped off from last year because that's still opening opportunities for other guys. Jeremy Lamb has perked up of late, and a lot of that just doesn't happen with Kem, without Kemba Walker. And then I have Bradley Beal. His numbers were – they just ended up being absolutely absurd. And I know, I know the Wizards were bad, but I viewed the third team as a place where we can kind of reward guys who aren't from the best teams and – 
he averaged more minutes per game than anyone in the NBA, 37.2, and he put up 25.7 points, 5 rebounds, 5.5 assists, 1.5 steals, and his his true shooting percentage was at 58. He doesn't take the difficult shots that we're seeing from Walker and Harden and Curry and Lillard and all them, but he he was just absolutely fantastic this season. Leaving off Bledsoe wasn't too tough for me. Leaving off Russell Westbrook was, but the efficiency I ultimately can't get around, and he still sort of struggles with when to take control and when to when to cede it to Paul George. He's done a better job of it overall, I would say, this season, and neither one of them are shooting particularly well in the clutch, so you can't blame him when he does that. He's still this force of nature that I, I wouldn't want to have to go up against, but you know maybe I'm just numb to the triple-doubles. Your argument is totally fair. He has... Westbrook is almost single-handedly just numbed us to triple doubles by turning them yeah. into this daily constant. So yeah. that was really that was a struggle for me. Maybe I'm just subconsciously wanting to make sure that Bradley Beal and Kemba Walker qualify for the Supermax and know that Westbrook already has his and that Bledsoe's already signed his extension. I don't know, but that that's where I ended up. And I yeah, I think those are very strong arguments for all of them. My fourth team, which you added here, these are so essentially honorable mentions. I have Mike Conley. Kemba Walker, Pascal Siakam, Danilo Gallinari, and then drum roll. Uh, I think a lot Mitchell of people are, <laughs> a lot of people are going to go Carl Anthony Towns here, which is fine. But I'm I'm going with uh, Nikola Vucevic, who's just been uh, unreal this season, passing, rebounding, scoring. Uh, he has led the Magic back to the playoffs. Um, he, he's just he's been fantastic this season. So again, my Honorable mentions, Conley, Kemba, Siakam, Gallo, and Vucevic. My honorable mentions, fourth team, are um, – they are Gal- – I had Gallo too. Why Why did I just close out of that window? That was stupid. Here we are. Russell Westbrook was my guard, and that should make sense given what I said. Ben Simmons, I put. And here's – I was- I thought about Ben Simmons long and hard for for third and fourth team. There seems like he it seems like he's regressed in certain areas, or at least hasn't taken a step forward. Here's a nice little stat for you. Ben Simmons last year shot thirty one point four percent on floaters. He's at over forty five percent this year huh. on floaters. Yeah. When you just to me, and there's been some defensive problems, but he the the transition from Jimmy Butler to from. Robert Covington to Jimmy Butler's knock on smoothly. Roko is a better team defender, and then it's compounded by the fact that Jimmy Butler's one-on-one defense just hasn't been consistently there at its normal levels with uh, since he's come to Philly. And then that puts so much pressure on Simmons, whose nightmares are already hell to begin with. And to not have Covington beside you, I just don't think we can criticize. The Sixers overall are, are disappointing defensively. I just don't know how much we can criticize Ben Simmons for that. Um, Simmons is shooting almost 65% from the foul line since January 15th, which is not good, but better than the 50-something percent that he's um, shooting that he shot last season. And I think he's under 60% for the season this year. Just when you combine all that with 70-plus percent shooting at the rim, his on-the-move passing, and he still has the defensive bandwidth to cover all five positions, this seems like a a, a worthy placement for him. Uh, for my forwards, I had Siakam and Gallo, and then I, I didn't go against convention. I went with Carl Anthony Towns. But Vucevic is is a solid pick as well. He's been better defensively than Carl Anthony Towns. I think Cat's yeah. been better offensively, but Vooch has been markedly better on the defensive end. And with that, That's we not, have... We didn't do too bad. Sub one no. sub hour 15 minutes for, for all of this. Yeah, I was going to say, we uh, I 
I thought we were going to have to, it was going to feel more rushed, but it didn't feel terribly rushed, but we did get through uh, every individual award, all of the, all NBA teams, all defense, all rookie. Um, and these are without the, uh, without a doubt, the best picks that you will hear or read anywhere. So you absolutely need to share them with your friends and family, of course. Um, if you already have rated, uh, reviewed and subscribed to the show, do that, share it with your friends and family. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find Dan at Dan Favalli. The uh, show is at Hardwood <laughs> at Hardwood Knox. Sorry, uh, I'm at Andrew D Bailey. Our podcast network is at Blue Wire Pods. Um, we have a, a new podcast coming up on that feed called Blue Wire Buckets that Dan and I will occasionally host. It'll be sort of a round table format where we will um we'll be on there with other hosts from around the network so guys like sam esfandiari from the light years podcast and um the chase down guys justin rowan um and carter rodriguez uh just the the whole network will kind of cycle in and out of there so keep an eye out for that um until next time we leave you with the obligatory shout out to ben Udri and kyle anderson Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.